Welcome to another edition of Reshaping America. This is your host, Kurt Flewelling. Well, um, same stories over and over again. It's amazing. Uh, free speech uh, stories uh, occupy whatever police department you want to occupy stories. All sorts of civil and quite uncivil unrest going on. And... Um, just uh, it's a mess, so we uh, we jump right into it. This uh, first article I thought was pretty interesting. It's a testing the Death Star. Ted Cruz says evil Google has become the emperor. Excuse me, the empire in Star Wars. Um, not a big Star Wars fan, but um, interesting. And and you know, before I start, you know, don't don't think that what I'm about to say contradicts in any way shape, manner, or form what I said a few weeks ago when um, Donald Trump was not real happy with what a lot of people were saying about him on social media and made some comments about how things were going to change, which spurred a lot of uh, people that uh, Donald Trump haters and also people lovers of free speech and uh, people that don't want the government to regulate speech um, kind of coming down on Mr. Trump for saying some of the things um, he said. So don't don't think that I'm I'm contradicting myself because um, Mr. Cruz here um, he says it's a very short article. I'll read it. it says that he feels that some legislation is in order as um, Google has become a monopoly. And if you listen to my show a few weeks ago, I pretty much stated um, that uh, Twitter and Google and all of these entities have every right to put out disinformation. Um, they want to put out pseudo fact checkers that we all know are kind of, you know, making a, making it up as they go along. That That's all well and good. We have free speech in this country and they can do that. Um and if a particular politician, particularly President Trump, is offended by that, any executive orders or extra constitutional behavior on his part to to uh, squelch the free speech of, of people that are his critics is not what America is all about in any way. And um, I, I firmly believe that. However, that does not... Um, lead me to believe that uh, breaking up monopolies is something that is inherently uh, wrong. I think we have to be very, very careful. Um, you know, we have a long storied history in our country of doing that. The Sherman Antitrust Act of 1890, the uh, Clayton Antitrust Act of 1914. So so government has a, is a very long history of breaking up monopolies, uh, standard oil, American tobacco, Probably of of most recent note, the biggest um, AT and T was broken up um, not too long ago, uh, several years, but it wasn't what is as long as some of these other entities. So um, I think the rub here is uh, legislatures or the Congress or the courts determine if monopolies have damaged or thwarted uh, the economic environments or the uh, or they've defeated or eliminated their competitors um, due to uh, illegal practices or, or squelching them out in one way or another and, and not 
or creating an unfair economic environment to um, your business competitors to thrive, that's certainly something that Congress has the right to uh, to take a look at. Now, obviously, um, back during the um, days of the Sherman Act and the Clayton Act, we did not have the internet and we didn't have um, smartphones and 24-hour news cycles. So it is it is a different time. But um, just wanted to kind of lay all that out for you before I read the article, lest you think that I have contradicted myself. I, I was very uneasy with Donald Trump saying some of the things he said a few weeks ago about his critics and that he was going to do something about that. But that does not mean that um, Congress taking a very um, critical look at how big and bad uh, Google has gotten and how they've gotten there, and if they are indeed uh, damaging the economic environment uh, so their competitors cannot, you know, get a fair shake, um, then that's something, if, if it needs to be taken a look at, it needs to be looked at. But uh, make no mistake, legislatures and the judiciary, those branches of government handle these things, not an offended president. So um, Congress has a, a pretty long history uh, of looking at these things, looking at these things critically. They're the ones that can approve or not approve of uh, big tech mergers. And uh, that's another way that these companies get around things. They they merge uh, and absorb other companies. And sometimes these entities become very, very large, which at first blush doesn't necessarily, large doesn't necessarily mean evil, but as we uh, talk about on this show weekly, the dissemination of truth and what is truth and how do we look at what's um, coming in our eye gate and our ear gate is definitely something that we have to um, take a critical look at. And um, our legislature, uh, our legislators are doing that. Um, so uh, this article says Senator Ted Cruz claimed Google was acting like villains from Star Wars after an NBC News article claimed the company had barred two conservative websites from earning ad revenue. Google today has become like the empire in Star Wars, Cruz, a Republican from Texas, told Fox News host Dana Perino on Wednesday. What they're doing with this step is testing the Death Star. So um, that's, uh, <laughs> that's Mr. Cruz's... Uh, take on that. I'll read a little bit more here. On Tuesday, Google was accused of pulling the ad revenue for the Federalist and finance website Zero Hedge, leading many conservatives to allege a pattern of bias against websites that do not adhere to liberal political ideology. In a Tuesday night tweet addressing the article, Google said they warned the Federalist for having a comment section that was dangerous or derogatory. Now, Cruz um, puts out the point. Uh, early in the day, he sent a letter to Google CEO Sundar uh, Pakai questioning the company's censorship standards, rejecting the terms of Google's argument, pointing to a number of left-wing outlets, including the Huffington Post, Jezebel, and Salon, all of which allow comments on articles, he accused Google of monopolizing free speech and said that it had become evil over the years. This is the latest escalation, Cruz said, 
Uh, Google is a monopoly. It has more control, more power over information than any entity in the history of mankind. And you know Google's motto used to be, don't be evil. They deleted that motto. Now their motto seems to be evil. These are Cruz's words, obviously not mine. Um, Cruz said if Google and others were not regulated in some fashion, they would continue to target news and opinion deemed unsavory by censorship boards. Um, and he feels that they will go uh, continue to have the, the ability to demonize um, these entities. And he feels that um, Congress should take a look at that. And that's all well and good if they... If they do take a look at that, and if they uh, find out that um, you know uh, the laws have been broken, these antitrust laws are pretty clear. And uh, you know, uh, we all know. I mean, you you go to you can go to Bing, you can go to Apple, you can go to Yahoo. As far as a search engine is concerned, um, so there is competition out there. But Google does have the lion's share of that. Um, but taking a look at it. And and um, getting Mark Zuckerberg on the hot seat and uh, taking a look at busting up um, um, what they feel is a monopoly if there is ample evidence to uh, to uh, prove that Google is doing things in a monopolistic way that is harming um, their competitors and breaking uh, the law, then um, I'm for that. But again, I would be very cautious. I'm a conservative, but Google does have the right to um, to lean whatever way they want to lean. Uh, I'm, I'm a big fan of the markets uh, handling these things. But if um, their competitors can't get any traction for one reason or another, and that's not just because their product is not as good as Google, then we have um, we have some concerns. So, Mr. Cruz, a a conservative, big free speech guy, um, big liberty guy, is uh, is concerned about Google. We'll see how that goes. But um, I've I've said for years when I advise people to go here and look for that, um, I do not. Uh, stick to the first page, the second page, the third page in a Google search. Um, you will find uh, just many things that are just not true. And if you're not savvy to discern truth, um, you can be misled big time. Um, uh, for for a story coming up here, I researched, I tried to anyway, the, um, the Florida coronavirus numbers um, recently because you know, a few weeks ago on this show, um, Governor DeSantis was spiking the ball and very emphatically, um, you know, rubbing it in the nose of his uh, opponents, how the numbers in Florida um, seem to be very good for having the oldest elderly population in the country. And that is that is bona fide. Uh, yet recently, um even if you're not paying attention, you can't swing a dead cat without seeing one entity or another discussing how the numbers in Florida of coronavirus um, cases or, or positives, if you will, have uh, risen. And so I, I did a sim simple Google search to see if there was a correlation between that and the announcement of um you know, Jacksonville and the state of Florida accepting the RNC 
for the uh, uh, national or the Republican National Convention in um, August. And, you know, to me, I look at these things not only from 50,000 feet, from about 100,000 feet. And um, to me, numbers are numbers. Can you manipulate them? Uh, yes, you can. And can you um, bury some and tout others? Yes, you can. Um, is that done on the left and the right? Yes, it is. However, my first blush before I read anything about this is, hmm, um, a very short period of time ago, uh, Florida numbers were looking sweet. Nobody had any rebut to uh, Governor DeSantis. I read on these uh, public airwaves an article from CNN. Um, uh, Experts are puzzled why Florida numbers are so good. And um, as we just stated, uh, Governor DeSantis um, spiked the ball, did a little victory lap and kind of danced around. And then uh, North Carolina not being able to um, come through uh, in Charlotte for the RNC uh, for one reason or another, probably, you know, not feeling a little squeamish about a very large um, gathering of people so soon out from all the states just kind of um, coming out of hibernation, if you will. And they did not feel comfortable doing that. And they kind of punted. And the RNC was very happy to get Florida because, as we know, Florida was won by Donald Trump uh, by you know one percent, and um, this particular area of Florida is is razor thin, um, and um, it, it it would be a feather in, in Donald Trump's cap to uh, to accept the nomination in um, in the state of Florida and in the city of Jacksonville, but I, I tell you, in my Google search. I went to page one, two, three, four, five. I couldn't find anything that said anything other than Corona numbers are um, spiking. A um, a resurgence of the coronavirus is happening in Florida. DeSantis is an idiot. Da 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 da. On and on and on. And I know that there are people with divergent thought on that. And I know that I can't possibly be the first person that sees a little bit of a correlation. I'm, I'm not a conspiracy theorist, as you know. I'm not a black helicopter guy. But to have great numbers and then have the convention come to Jacksonville and then have a steady drumbeat that the numbers are not great anymore, you know, I, I think it's a little conspicuous. Now, could you say the kids, call them kids affectionately in their late teens, early 20s, um, were flooding back to the beaches and the bars and 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 uh, the spread could have uh, increased because of that or any social unrest. Um, I guess you could do that. I mean, the timing is certainly there for that. but i um I do not trust the media, and i can I can only leave you with this before I go on to the next um, article. Um, I've been doing this for about seventeen years. and in the beginning, days and years, I um I was very wary of what I affectionately termed the black helicopter crowd who saw the boogeyman around every corner, who saw an, a conspiracy, a government conspiracy around every corner. Everything that was wrong in the world was a, a, an evil liberal conspiracy. And I didn't have a lot of time for those folks, but I will say this in vindicating many of them. Over the course of years, in the last 17 years, 
many of the things that these quote unquote black helicopter people were espousing were spot on true. And I stopped using the term black helicopter because, um, you know, uh, our, our distrust of what our government does and is doing, our distrust of, of, um, a very dishonest media in one form or another and politicians that are just lie with alacrity have all led me to not discount, um, conspiracy theories to a certain degree. I'm, I am not one of those guys that sees the boogeyman around every corner. I don't think that's a good way to live. Um, being distrustful and paranoid in every waking moment of your life is not what our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ intended for us to do. But on the other hand, sleepwalking through life with your head in the sand is certainly something that uh, our Lord and Savior did not intend us to do either. So, um, you know, uh, this is this is where we are with the Florida numbers and um, remains to be seen. You know, uh, it, it's kind of interesting to me. Numbers are what led Governor DeSantis to go to the microphone couple weeks ago and beat his chest a little bit and we're supposed to not believe those numbers but now the numbers are different wildly presumably and we're supposed to believe those numbers now there there is a lot of and i'm not going to get in the weeds with it there's a lot of assertion that um uh, governor DeSantis cherry picks certain numbers to make his uh his results of, of what he has done in his state look good. And then there's assertions that people that hate Governor DeSantis have kind of cherry picked numbers to, uh, to make, uh, to forward their cause. Regardless, um, time will tell. And this convention is slated to be, um, at the end of August, uh, I guess 75 days away. And we will see. We will see how things unfurl in fairness to uh, everybody and, and the scientists and the virologists out there. Um, this virus is still very new to all of us. And if it doubles back and does funky things that the experts did not um, predict or predicted and then rescinded their prediction and now they have a new prediction, I'm I'm going to be deferential uh, but I do know that politics, as you do, um, is involved at every turn here. And anything that makes Donald Trump or any allies Donald Trump has uh, in in Congress or probably more appropriately, as far as leaders of states are concerned, states that he desperately needs to be reelected in five months, um, that is up for for political debate. And uh, people's lives, unfortunately, in this crazy coronavirus thing is just caught right smack dab in the middle of this. And it leaves you and I to scratch our head. We just want to be informed. We want to go uh, about our business in one way or another. And it makes it very difficult to do that when people are um, playing politics with something as horrible as the coronavirus. So we go on to the next article, which... Um, it says uh, Trump policing order, federal grants dependent on use of force reform. And he is um, he is uh, purporting that he would like a misconduct database at a federal level. 
So this article says um, it's got a picture of um, Donald Trump surrounded by members of law enforcement and um, says the order will give incentives to police to adopt the highest professional standards to uh, serve their communities. Um, Trump said in a June 16th remark before signing the order in the White House Rose Garden, he was accompanied by police representatives as well as members of families whose loved ones have been killed by police. Americans want police to keep them safe, but also want accountability, Trump said. Reducing crime and raising standards are not opposite goals. They are not mutually exclusive. They work together, he said. The order came um, upon weeks of protest after George Floyd died during arrest by police officers in Minneapolis. The protests have often turned violent, including arson, looting, and attacks on police. We all know that. The administration has mostly laid blame on the anarcho-communist group Antifa and other extremists for inciting violence. Many of the protesters... And some Democrat politicians have voiced demands for defunding the police. We discussed that last week or disbanding them altogether. Uh, Trump rejected such ideas. Americans know truth. He said without police, there is um, chaos. I believe he says here. Yeah. Chaos without law. There's anarchy and without safety. There is catastrophe. Um the order will establish independent credentialing for police departments in activities, including the use of force and de-escalation training, as well as early warning signs that help to identify officers who may require intervention and best practices regarding community engagement, the order reads. So these are a set of um, guidelines, uh, goes on to say, um, barring the use of chokeholds, um, and the Attorney General of the United States will be responsible for setting standards for which entities could issue such credentials. So, in short, what he's doing here, it says the database should track which officers were fired, decertified, convicted uh, for on-duty conduct, or had a civil judgment entered against them for improper use of force. The order says it should also include those who resigned or retired while under active investigation related to the use of force. Um, the Attorney General shall take appropriate steps to ensure that the information in the database consists only of instances in which law enforcement officers were afforded fair process, the order states. And that is important. Um, as we've stated on this show several times, um, at the backbone of the chaos that you're seeing in the streets of America is emotion. And regardless of an officer um, doing some form of alleged misconduct, that officer, as, as anybody does in any walk of life in the United States of America, deserves to uh, due process. So that last line is very important because um, – it's very easy to see a cra crazy videotape like we saw in Minneapolis and want to string someone up by their thumbs in the village square. And uh, that's not what we're all about as Americans. But um, there are a lot of anarchists out there and a lot of emotionally charged, uh, naive people out there. So I'm sure that that last line, although to me quite reasonable, seems 
very much um, a throwaway line, like, yeah, yeah, whatever. Or what does that mean? Fair process. Does that mean... And then, you know, people will start to roll their eyes and say, is is the federal government in collusion with local law enforcement going to uh, slap uh, law enforcement on the risk or say that they were fired unjustly or whatever? Um, look, and, and that's always going to be said by a certain segment of the populace, either rightly or wrongly. Uh, but for the purposes of what Donald Trump is trying to do, I, I think if you weren't emotional about this, which is hard to pull off, or you weren't a Trump fan or a Trump detractor, which that camp is pretty much, you know, uh, been established, I, I think setting up a national database and tying money into it and funding uh, federal grants, discretionary federal grants by the federal government. Um, if your municipality is very forthcoming with um, these uh, these criteria or ensuring that these criteria are met routinely, I don't think that's all that unreasonable. Um, I do think it's interesting. Um, of all the things I read here, and I said this last week, um, the biggest problem and he's ticked off many things that he would like to see addressed. I think the biggest problem is the fact that in, in, in the case of this guy up in Minneapolis, this is not his first uh, foray into doing something really, really wrong. And he's been there 19 years. And, you know, I, um, I think some of these uh, things are good. And should be implemented. And, and I think they already have been half-heartedly implemented uh, based on what municipality you happen to uh, live in. Um, but I think the thing that really, uh, you know, is troubling to me, you don't need the federal government dangling money over your head if you are uh, a chief of police in a uh, police department anywhere from, you know, 10 people to uh, 100 people. Uh, you don't need the federal government. You don't need activists to do the right thing. And this is where we get back to our, our favorite topic of absolutes. Um, you don't need to be a D or an R to know that you have, or conservative or liberal or pro-law enforcement or anti-law enforcement, to know if you have a a person within your ranks that is cracking skulls and operating outside the boundaries of law enforcement, um, that person should never have the job in the first place. And if they do get that job and they will screw up, it, it doesn't take 19 years for them to screw up. And it certainly doesn't take 19 years to either fire them or have someone die at their hands in order to fix this thing. Um, that's where I would agree with just about anybody that, um, and the article says early warning signs. Um, I, I don't know how trained you have to be to figure out early warning signs other than uh, knocking down that blue wall of silence, because I know that there are good police officers that see things that don't add up and they should say something to their superiors. We do not need crazy um, rogue law enforcement doing crazy things out there. 
Um, so, you know, I, I think this guy up in Minneapolis, this could have been figured out several years ago. And if our friends on the left want to say there's a systemic problem, um, I would be probably inclined to agree with the fact that there are bad apples in every police force. And it, to me, it doesn't take 5, 10, 15, 20 years to get rid of them. Um, that stuff manifests pretty early. And as I said, the vetting process for that particular individual certainly leads something to be desired. And I I don't know if the federal government can do anything about that. Um, you know, providing training to, to recognize early warning signs. I, I don't know that, that seems to me pretty, um, commonsensical, but anyway, um, Back to Donald Trump. I, I think this is a good start. He has had to do something, and he did do something. And the country's so polarized that um, there are people that will think it's not enough, and there are people that will think it's wonderful. And so we go. Um, the next story I thought was interesting. It was um, what we touched on before: how the RNC moved the. Um, convention from Charlotte, North Carolina to Jacksonville, Florida. And um, this is interesting because in in the article, it quotes some um, activists that are not real Donald Trump fans. And as we've said on the show several times, there is um, uh, Dr. King approved of uh, peaceful protest, um, civil unrest, and I do as well. And um, some people um, think that uncivil unrest is warranted and probably somewhere in the middle of that, there's a, there's a subsection of folks that may not, um, may not, uh, put a stamp of approval on burning and looting and, and injuring innocent people, but certainly their rhetoric is not helpful. And that's the politest way I can say that. And I wanted to bring this article to your attention because it it, it does have some things in it that um, we're not going to heal with people saying things like they said at the end of this article. So this article is from McClatchy. It's commenting on the uh, RNC convention move. It says they more or less got what they wanted. The RNC committee announced Thursday evening it would move the celebration of Trump's nomination from Charlotte to Jacksonville, awarding the city a political party that could attract thousands of Republican activists and press from around the world during a pandemic and civil unrest. We are thrilled to hold this momentous occasion in the great city of Jacksonville, RNC Chairwoman Ronna McDaniel said in a statement. Um, says uh, Trump's decision to move to Jacksonville means he'll accept his party's nomination from a swing state, possibly with the kind of crowds that North Carolina's Democrat governor would not or could not promise to allow. The sprawling metro area is just south of the Florida-Georgia line, also giving Trump reach in two states where friendly Republican governors have quickly eased coronavirus restrictions. Um, Jacksonville is one of the few true swing counties in Florida, which is itself a presidential swing state that Trump won by a little more than 1%. Um, 
That year, the metro area voted for Trump by only 6,000 votes, which is not much. Um, but in, um, in recent uh, midterm elections, it swung back to supporting um, the Democrat, which was um, something that has to, uh, has to concern um, Donald Trump. The, the article where it, where it starts to turn a little bit and disturbs me, um, it says a website set up by the Jacksonville Host Committee pegs the dates of the event um, August 24th through the 27th, the same as previously planned in Charlotte. Um, and, you know, it goes on to to say that the, the they quote an activist here in the area that thinks those dates are significant. Um, let me just get to here. I can find it. Yeah. Um, it said the RNC itself, that, those were tentative dates. The RNC did not announce a date for Trump's uh, relocated celebration, but potentially elevating the significance of his decision to come to Jacksonville, the final day of the convention on August 27th, which falls on the 60th anniversary of Axe Handle Saturday, which is a really horrible, disturbing event that I just learned about. It said, in 1960, attack on black lunch counter protesters seen as a tipping point in Jacksonville's civil rights history and race relations. Um, Rodney Hurst Sr., an activist and black historian who helped lead the protest at the lunch counter that day through his role on the Jacksonville um NAACP's uh, Youth um, Council said in an interview that a commemoration is planned for an August 27th in Hemming Park, where a white mob wielding axe handles gathered before pouncing on peaceful black protesters. He wondered if the timing of Trump. Now, this is where, you know, I don't think like people like this, and that's why I, I couldn't. I couldn't figure out where this guy was going until the end of the article. Um, he says the timing of Trump's visit is a coincidence, given that the president intends to resume large political rallies beginning June 19th, a day commemorating the end of slavery in the U.S. in Tulsa, Oklahoma, a city where white mobs attacked black families in a deadly riot 99 years ago. So I'm thinking that this activist is asserting that Donald Trump is uh, picking these two dates, um, June 19th and August 27th, because they have historic meaning. He'll demagogue the issue. He'll say, you know, um, we have to come together. And he'll use, uh, you know, Donald Trump proponents will say it's a wonderful gesture. Um, Donald Trump detractors will say he's just doing it to, um, you know, uh, for political um, advantage. So I, I really thought the guy just thought he was doing it for political advantage. But I, I read on a little bit and, um, you know, it, it seems pretty uh, disturbing what this um, Mr. Hearst uh, had to say. It says about a third of Jacksonville's 900,000 residents are black. Early Tuesday, the word spread among GOP circles that the RNC was settling on Jacksonville. Um, this is when Republican Mayor Lenny Curry ordered city crews to take down Confederate statues, um, p 
pledging to a crowd of peaceful protesters that all remaining Confederate statues in the city would also be removed. That's fair enough. Um, you know, they uh, in Philadelphia years ago, the RNC was coming um, and man, did they do some scrubbing and cleaning of uh, a lot of things that people did not want to see. And particularly, you know, here in this climate, um, you know, if, if Mr. Curry has the power to do that, then that's a heck of a lot better than a um, a sledgehammer wielding mob doing it. But the 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 thing that just upset me, it says, uh, Mr. Hearst goes on to say, Donald Trump coming into town, and then in quotes, an American racist president uh, will not change anything we're going to do down here. So. Here we go again with the Donald Trump's a racist. I mean, you you can say Donald Trump sat on his hands for this or that and the other. I, I'm I'm sorry, you you just can't call him a racist. Uh, the the black community has flourished under Donald Trump. Uh, we we don't need to get into it, but I will briefly as far as teen un- before COVID, teen unemployment um, at a 50 year low, um, uh, adult. Uh, male black uh, individuals in this country, a record low unemployment, um, uh, incarceration rates uh, down as far as um, his prison reform policies that he has uh, he has uh, put forth uh, with executive order. Um, you know, we could go on, but we don't need to. So this whole thing that Donald Trump's a racist and and this guy fomenting that is not helpful. It's just not helpful. You know, all the things that his detractors say that he does, he, uh, you know, blows these silent dog whistles and he sends cryptic messages to his redneck base to do this and do that. Well, people that are on the other end of the political spectrum, they're doing the same thing. Mr. Hurst is certainly not advocating for riots in the street. But when he says something like, this guy's coming to town, the first American racist president, you know, I I don't know. We're we're not going to get sidetracked here, but I'm sure Mr. Hurst is probably a Democrat. Um, uh, And if he knows his history, even though he's a historian, I I don't think he does because um, Woodrow Wilson, who many on the left and many black people revere for some bizarre reason, was a flaming racist and a flaming anti-Semite. So uh, asserting uh, from a historian of all people that Donald Trump is the first American racist president when um, there have been plenty and there have been plenty with D's next to their name, Mr. Hearst, is just not helpful in a situation where we have um, streets burning and statues uh, tipping over and as my next article chronicles, um, a uh, lawless, self-declared autonomous zone in Seattle, which um, we uh, discussed a little bit last week. We'll discuss a little bit more now. This next article, um, it says, inside Seattle's lawless, self-declared autonomous zone. And it says, nestled inside Seattle's counterculture hub, sits the self-proclaimed Capitol Hill Autonomous Zone, or CHAZ as it is uh, called, a lawless area 
occupied by protesters after law enforcement officers abandoned their East Precinct building following a week of clashes between protesters and police. A cursory glance at the zone, which covers approximately six blocks and a park in Emerald City, conjures up images of a music festival or a block party, um, as the city's mayor describes it. Um, Wow. But the reality isn't as rosy as some have depicted, as uh, there are documented accounts of violence, intimidation, and so-called warlords that suggest a more police state style of rule. The first thing that catches the eye after entering the police-free zone is the graffiti. Spray painting on or scrawled in chalk across almost every surface are anarchist symbols, pro-Black Lives Matter imagery, pro-revolution messages, and anti-police graffiti. Some simply state, end America. I guess that pretty much says it. Or others say things like, shoplift your future back. Um, Denizens of Chaz have set up tents and public toilets while free food booths from donations, as well as pay-for-food stands, have popped up. There have been attempts at farming across the zone, and makeshift barricades have been set up. So I would presume these people are not leaving anytime soon if farming is um, is being set up. I'm looking at a sign that I can't read on the air because it's pretty nasty. Uh, so they're they're writing over existing signs with some profanity. Um, one of the most pressing concerns is that the city's law enforcement response has been crippled due to the loss of their eastern precinct building. Some local businesses in the area have also been affected, including Trader Joe's. Now, this has always been the rub up in the Pacific Northwest. Um, many of the most liberal um, companies and eco-friendly companies and socially conscious companies like Trader Joe's and Starbucks have often been the first to be ransacked and pillaged, which really does underscore the ignorance and anarchistic um, views of the people that are doing that. If they understood what they were doing, um, their, and I use this in quotes, their presumed um, ideology pretty much does correlate with a lot of uh, people who work for and own Trader Joe's or Starbucks. So destroying those properties doesn't make a heck of a lot of sense, but a lot of this stuff doesn't make a lot of a a sense. It says the grocery chain announced on June 13th it would close indefinitely um, due to the ongoing unrest in the area. Um, They are not the only ones um, to be affected. Uh, What's happening here... um, it's really, you know, it, 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 I don't even know where to begin. I really don't. I'm, I'm tired of talking about this, but I, I have to, so I'm doing it. Um, let me try to get my thoughts together here. Um, it has always been disheartening to me that um, white liberals and, um, and others of other colors have always um, used black individuals in this country as political pawns, 
uh, being so demeaning to them in every way, shape, manner, and form while asserting that their political rivals, usually with an R next to the name, are the ones that are the racist. And um, the article says disheartening, and it's um, the owner of an auto shop in the area, 100 yards outside of the zone. Um, the owner and his family um, – noticed that someone was breaking into the auto shop. So um, unlike in Philadelphia, where the gun owner shot and killed um, the people that were trying to uh, come into his um, establishment, this gentleman was not so fortunate in protecting his property. Um, It says the owner and his family managed to detain the suspect who attempted to steal cash and set fire to their store but later had to release the person as officers failed to arrive even after multiple 911 calls. So here's what you have. You have the anarchists taking over an area where there are rapes, robberies, and in this instance, a business is being violated. A business owner comes in, finds whoever is trying to steal his money and burn down his business. I mean, these are commonsensical things. And... He calls the cops. Cops don't come. Can't have it both ways if you're an anarchist. You can't say hate the cops. You can't say, as Black Lives Matter, um, Colin Kaepernick said to the world when he had socks on that had uh, pigs in police officer garb, um, you can't say, I hate the cops. They're all evil. And then when um, you need them, And they don't come. You can't complain about that. And I I don't think the anarchists are complaining about it, but I can tell you who is complaining about it. Um, Poor black people in the area. This narrative that has gone on far too long in this country uh, by white liberals that black people commit crime due to economic disadvantage. Well, if that was the case, A, we would have the, the largest... Uh, crime wave in American history in the 30s when unemployment was 30%. We did not. And probably more importantly, when somebody makes a statement that like that, that black people commit crime because they're economically disadvantaged, what an insult to poor people everywhere, indicating that poor being poor um, somehow leads you to break your standards, your laws, your absolute, and go to a life of crime. It is insulting to the black community. It is insulting to the vast majority of poor people who work and play by the rules. And this other narrative, and and you don't see these people on CNN or MSNBC or anywhere, they don't stick a microphone in a black person's face that is disgusted by um, this uh, Chaz camp and um, people destroying property. If it happens to be people that are white or Chinese or black, it doesn't matter, destroying property, looting. Um, uh, this narrative that black people or poor people are somehow okay with this anarchistic behavior is, is, is insane. Decent people of all colors do not want their grocery store where they go for subsistence 
to be destroyed. So now they can't get any food. They don't want the place where they get their car service destroyed. So now they can't drive their broken car. Um, this notion that a handful of people that, um, if you interviewed them, wouldn't know the first thing about, um, George Floyd, um, that, that they speak for the community at large, the peaceful protesters is ridiculous. And, and, um, so what happened here was this guy, um, the owner and his family detained the suspect, says Matt McDermott, the owner's son, said they were notified by their neighbors. Someone was, um, in their parking lot swinging a hammer trying to break through, um, the window. Um, it, it, it says, McDermott goes on to say he knows officers want to help, but he can't, excuse me, they can't due to politics. He said he hopes the mayor's office and the governor's office can come together for some sort of solution to allow the police force to come back and help the citizens. Um, what happened was they detained the suspect and the mob of people from Chaz rushed to their store telling them, let the suspect go. Um, probably close to somewhere between 500 and 1,000 were threatening to kill us if we didn't let the guy go that we caught trying to burn down our building. Um, the videos show uh, protesters knocking down the store's fence and rushing the property and, and telling... Um, Mr. McDermott, you better let this guy go. So again, um, saying that, um, that the people of that community are okay with this is, is really a reach. And, um, um, it's, it's, you know, it goes on to say that there was somebody, um, with an American flag that was pummeled and driven from the zone. Um, Another was wearing a MAGA hat. Now, I, I, I think with a MAGA hat, we're starting to get into uh, provocation. And that's something that's not only stupid, but it's, it's not furthering your cause. If your cause is for um, peace, um, you don't go into a situation like that with a MAGA hat and then cry that somebody took your MAGA hat or worse. You're just a stupid person. And I don't know how... Um, you justify doing what you're doing. Um, it's a mess. It's absolutely a mess out there. And, um, we better, uh, we better come to the Lord and we better come together. And again, um, what would Jesus do? Um, you know, there are some people and there are many black clergy that said Jesus would, um, would be okay with Black Lives Matter. And, you know, would Jesus peacefully protest um, the injustice that uh, happened in Minneapolis and happens in municipalities um, all over the country? I, I think Jesus would. But, you know, I, I would urge my black leftist friends and uh, leftist clergy in America to peel the onion skin a little bit more and ask themselves, would Jesus ask the question, hey, just curious, why did the Black Lives Matter movement start with a guy that had um, 
uh, little pigs on his uh, socks um, depicted as police officers. Because the last I checked, and this is the thing that you don't hear of that much, but in Philadelphia, of course, you, you hear of it and you see it. Um, there's a very large percentage of, of uh, African-American police officers. You know, um, do, do you think Jesus, if he was, if he was uh, walking down the road in a protest and he saw people wearing socks that depicted black police officers, for that matter, in, um, a, in, in, in a derogatory way, he might say, what's that all about? Or do you think he might just say, yeah, whatever, it's, it's all part of the struggle? I, I think he would question that. And if he would question that, I think you should question that. Um, these are some really weird times and people are looking the other way, blurring issues, um, demagoguing issues, um, purposely distorting narratives. And there's a lot of sheep out there that really probably do um, have a concern for police brutality, as we all should. But... Um, I don't know. Uh, if, if you stuck a microphone in their face, the peaceful protesters, and and say, "What do you think about Black Lives Matter?" I, I think you would get universally a, um, a a very good response. But then you would um, ask them about the uh, Colin Kaepernick socks that he proudly wore um, for the whole world to see that depicted police officers as pigs. Um, these same police officers that save um, far more black lives than um, anybody would care to talk about. Do you think Jesus would have a problem with that? Should you have a problem with that if you're hearing me right now and you are into civil unrest and civil disobedience? Should you have a problem with that? And if you do, should you speak out? Or if you did speak out, would you get pummeled down just like anybody else? You probably would. So, these are some really um, chaotic times. Who you know, who your God is, is very important. Um, just willy-nilly signing on to a movement um, is dangerous business, quite literally, these days. And you should know all the details of who the people are that you are walking arm-in-arm arm with and what they are saying and what they are espousing. And if it's not what um, God would be down with, you should run from it. And, um, you know, that's what I will leave you with. You know, the, these things are not as simple as black and white. It's not as simple as I've said a billion times on these public airwaves. Trump, good. Hillary, bad. MSNBC, bad. Fox, good. There's There are nuances there are um, all sorts of variables involved, and you better check yourself and check who you're allied with and what they believe in, um, or the results could be quite dangerous uh, for you or you know people that you love and, and respect. So um, I will leave you with this. This is Kerr Welling, Reshaping America. Until next week, have a great day.